Welcome to the best of real talk. In this episode, we're talking energy, oil and gas, wind, solar, the politics of energy and pressing pause on renewables. It's almost fall. The kids are going to be headed back to school. Everybody's going to be getting back into their regular work routine after taking some time off through the summer. But not you, right? You've been thinking bigger than that. You know that summer is the best time to take that real estate course you've been thinking about and start a career that you actually love. Leave cubicle life behind for good with Rello. Rello's online real estate courses are fully accredited to help you get your real estate license in Alberta. And they've just added a commercial real estate course to their offerings with more courses coming soon. Get licensed the easy way with Rello's convenient, self-paced courses. Visit Rello.ca. That's R-E-L-O.ca today to get started. This is a Relay Project. Real Talk starts right now. Here's Ryan Jesperson. Rebecca Schultz is Alberta's energy minister. She joins us to talk about a moratorium on wind and solar, plus her meeting with the federal environment minister, not exactly her best friend, Stephen Gilbo. Here's the Honorable Rebecca Schultz. This is a pretty fulsome mandate letter you see from the premier. I think it was like 13 different points. Uh, a, a lot of them have to do, obviously, with what people would associate with the environmental portfolio. But then there's that one call to action, which is a familiar one for anybody that that pays attention, that pays attention to Alberta politics. And that's to stand up for Alberta when it comes to federal overreach. That's kind of a common theme, it seems, among the ministries. And it seemed to be a theme of your public comments yesterday after hearing from the feds why don't we get into this yeah i mean you know that was one of the top things i heard door knocking throughout the campaign traveling across alberta there is a very real frustration with federal overreach in areas of provincial jurisdiction and so you would see that in a number of my colleagues mandate letters but when it comes to environment i mean this means uh protecting our high environmental standards but also making sure that our industries can continue to thrive and flourish uh, you know, when it comes to the federal government, they have a record of choosing ideology over common sense every time. Uh, three main pieces of legislation uh, from the federal government that we have been opposing and, and working on is uh, the net zero electricity grid, which I, I know you're going to want to talk about today by 2035. It, it's something that's just not feasible. It's not feasible for Alberta. Uh, I think there's three or four other provinces with Manitoba coming out yesterday saying the same thing. Federal government has been promising dollars in infrastructure to get us there for years already. And so, you know, their announcement yesterday, $40 billion when the cost of this, I mean, we have, and, it, and it's independent numbers, it's it's not my numbers, $1.7 trillion in cost to transition to a net zero electricity grid by 2035. I mean, taxpayers are going to pay for that. They're going to pay for it on their bills. They're going to pay for it through their taxes. And the federal government had no data to share with me when we met with Minister Gipo on that front. We also have um, a proposed oil and gas cap, which would cap production at a time when 
uh, the world use and development of oil and gas is at an all-time high. We still need uh, Alberta oil and gas. I want to see that industry flourish. I, I know that getting our natural gas to market will help reduce worldwide emissions. This is a great story. We have an opportunity to lead not only in Alberta, but around the world in technology that's happening. CCUS, we're already uh, a leader in that area. Um, we have a very real opportunity, and that was really uh, my conversation with my federal counterparts. And then lastly, the plastics ban. You know, I've been talking a lot lately the last couple of weeks. Uh, I don't know if you've heard up in Edmonton, but Calgary Co-op uh, really partnered with this amazing entrepreneur, Leaf Environmental Products. Uh, his name is Jerry. He cares so much about the environment that he thought, you know, I am going to solve this problem. He left his job as I believe it was an auditor. And he said, give me a sign to leave this job and become an entrepreneur. He gets a call from Calgary Co-op. Please help us. He designed a completely compostable bag. It is not plastic. It has the benefit of not being plastic, reducing plastic bags, but also um, encouraging composting right? Because uh, it, it's a compostable bag. People are more likely to use uh, the compost if it's clean and in a bag under their sink. You know how this goes. That is banned by ECCC and the federal government's plastic legislation. So when I was uh, at the environment minister's meeting out in Ontario just a couple of weeks ago, uh, we took a bag for everybody that was at the table, as well as a link to uh, some media stories around around um, that plastics ban and how it's having the exact opposite impact on recycling. And we were not the only province to raise that. This is a huge issue across the country. So we know that we need to reduce emissions. We have an emissions reduction and energy development plan. Uh, we need to protect our environment. Alberta is a beautiful place. I think it's one of the most beautiful places in the world. Um, but we also have to stand up for our province, our industries, and quite frankly, Albertans. Yeah, it's it's safe to say that not everybody agrees that Alberta can't get its grid to net zero by 2035. The federal minister certainly thinks so. He told us that on July 19th. We, we talked to Binu Jackamar from uh, Pemina Institute yesterday. She, she says that history could repeat itself. She says when, when the Stephen Harper federal government but back in 2012 talked about phasing out coal, she says Alberta, uh, by way of the free market, market by way of the innovation and the industry that you talk about and celebrate same as us says they stepped up to the plate and made it happen they're, they're confident they're bullish that alberta can make it happen people are paying attention to this moratorium announced last thursday on new wind and solar projects and if there's one recurring comment i've seen from the public on social media it's that well alberta's not even trying are you concerned about the message that this sends not just to other levels of government not just to investors but to the public you know, here's what I would say. I think uh, some people are conflating those two issues. This six-month pause is about making sure that we have an electricity grid that remains affordable, that it remains stable and reliable for Albertans. I, I don't believe that Albertans want to see massive, drastic increases to their power bills. And, you know, they, they certainly don't want to see rolling uh, brownouts like we've seen in other jurisdictions around North America. They want to see a sustainable power grid that remains affordable. And we also have to address those issues around liability, reclamation, uh, and what happens next. So if we 
you know, we just can't allow a situation. I'll, I'll say it this way. We can't allow a situation where we don't have a sustainable mix of power generation. Now, Alberta has led the country. We are open for business. We are a province of innovators and entrepreneurs. 75% of Canada's renewable investment last year was in Alberta. Um, I mean, that's a positive thing. This is not an either or conversation. Uh, we still, though, need natural gas baseload to power our grid to make sure that we have the sustainability that Albertans are looking for. Um, and, and so I think that's the concern with the federal government is, you know, they've done no research. I asked for data. I asked for costing. I asked for socioeconomic impacts. Um, they didn't have any of that to share. We we hope that they'll share it at, in our bilateral discussions. But then seeing news stories like yesterday saying, well, you know, if, if you don't sign on to net zero by 2035, uh, provinces may not be available or may not be able to apply for those tax credits. Uh, that's five provinces so far that have independent analysis. It's not just the government saying we can't get there, um, but also the cost. I mean, $1.7 trillion, Ryan, that is a huge cost. And so we have to manage that affordability piece for Albertans. Yeah, I, I think when we talk about affordability, you noted it yourself. You know that Albertans are, are paying uh, way higher utility costs. I, I've seen in some circumstances people claiming they're 400% than what they were a couple of years ago. And members of the public are being told to brace for what uh, experts are saying could be even higher energy costs to come. We know that wind and solar, uh, that availability to the grid would drive those costs down. And some of the critics of this moratorium are suggesting that this is essentially just the government protecting natural gas, protecting government royalties, protecting these traditional oil and gas operators. Uh, it's a new day and age, Minister. So we've, we've got people in our live chat that are they're throwing uh, contributions, financial contributions at us to put questions, post questions in the chat. I've never done this before on a talk show, but Ken right now for five bucks uh, wants me to ask you about the Alberta Utilities Commission. He says, that, you know, he says, I'm looking at this, this, you know, moratorium rationale and he says i'd be curious to know minister schultz's response to why reliability was added to that moratorium rationale he says neither the alberta utilities commission or the alberta electric system operator mentioned that he says government added that what would you say to people that are saying this this is just the government of alberta trying to protect natural gas nothing more you know what not at all like i, I would say this we still need uh that natural gas baseload. We, we absolutely do. Um, but, you know, like I said, we're, we're open for business. We have a unique uh, power market here in Alberta. Uh, but let's also keep in mind that this is a new industry. And so the AUC, the Alberta Utilities Commission, did write to Minister Newdorf requesting a pause. Uh, this is an opportunity for us to get this right. This work to set up uh, a framework for making sure that we do have reliability, affordability, uh, but also that we're addressing uh, liability, reclamation, and some of the concerns that we heard from rural Alberta, uh, that needs to be addressed. It needs to be addressed either now or six months from now, but it has to be addressed. So this is a great time for us to take a short six-month pause to do the work that's necessary. And look, we committed to doing this work last year, uh, at RMA, I was the Minister of Municipal Affairs. This was the top issue that we heard from rural Alberta. We need to have some parameters in place. Um, we're going to do this work quick, quickly. There's obviously a number of ministries that this work uh, touches, but look, it, it's not an either or. And I think people like to polarize uh, these issues for a 
variety of reasons. Uh, we need to make sure that we're getting this right for Albertans. Yeah, respectfully, I can't let your government colleagues off the hook for polarizing the issue either, but that's how politics work. People understand it. Uh, it's been a while since an Alberta environment minister has talked about reclamation. Now, this is in the context, obviously, of, of supposed landowner concerns around the future of wind turbines and solar farms and what happens to busted up panels. And I think that the average person understands that. I'm not sure that everybody buys that rationale, but if reclamation truly is a concern of yours and i'll take your word on that does that mean we can expect to see more serious action on oil and gas reclamation this orphan wells issue is something that everybody's learning a little bit more about and i think most people are shocked when they realize the magnitude of that problem you know this is something that our government has been working to address my uh former colleague minister savage worked on the alberta liability management framework and and introduced updates to that um, obviously, this is something that we're taking very seriously. If you look at my mandate letter uh, on another issue, somewhat related, is the issue of, of tailings pond reclamation. That was the first bullet uh, in my mandate letter. And so, you know, I, I would just say we can't really compare these two uh, areas. One is very different, obviously. Our oil and gas industry has been operating for decades here. And so the issues that we're facing in oil and gas are different than what we're facing right now when it comes to renewables. This is our opportunity to get it right uh, when it comes to renewables, address the concerns that have been raised, make sure again that we're looking at affordability, reliability, liability, reclamation, uh, protecting uh, agricultural land and addressing some of the concerns that have been raised. So um, we can do that. We can do that quickly. I, I know six, seven months is a very short timeline, but my colleagues are, are dedicated to taking on this work. Yet we're also, uh, of course, still focused on uh, reclamation in the energy industry as well. Not It's not the shortest timeline, right? I mean, seven months pressing pause on an industry like you said. I mean, Ben, you yesterday from Pemina pointing out, as you reiterated as well, and I think this is something that Alberta should celebrate and should celebrate more. I mean, essentially owning the renewables market in Canada when it wants to. Alberta has proven that it can still be and will still be Canada's energy capital, but pressing pause on new development for seven months is a really big deal, and I think a lot of people People are concerned about the message that that sends to to investors. I mean, I have to imagine that that's on the radar of a conservative government. You know, I would say if you want to talk about uncertainty, I mean, some of the federal government legislation and, and for example, uh, an emissions cap on oil and gas that would limit uh, natural gas development, that would be a problem for our electricity uh, grid as well. And so that also plays into some of these reliability issues. And so uh, we really do see this as an opportunity to get this right so that we can, in fact, uh, have confidence in the system, in the grid, in the reliability and affordability issues uh, and have a plan for reclamation. I actually think that that's good for investor certainty in the long term. Uh, we're seeing a photo right now of, of you at a recent announcement. Uh, the government of Alberta committing about $45 million. It's like on a competition basis. People can uh, Google the reporting on that for the details to kickstart or you know essentially fast forward hydrogen uh, innovation in the province of Alberta. It's interesting. I'm fascinated by the technology and the potential of it. I mean, these hydrogen locomotives that everybody's talking about, pretty cool. Uh, but there also seems to be a healthy dose of cynicism here. Every time we talk about hydrogen on the show, we get emails from people essentially saying it's, it's BS. How bought into hydrogen tech are you and is this government? 
You know, uh, again, I, I don't think it's just, a, you know, there's one silver bullet of an answer when it comes to our energy future. But Alberta, again, is a leader in hydrogen. And this is exciting. We're here to support that innovation. Uh, again, we're known for our entrepreneurial spirit. And that that announcement absolutely was right in front of a hydrogen locomotive. I think it was pretty fitting, uh, given that, you know, uh, CP has been operating here in Canada uh, for, I guess, over 100 years or around 100 years. And yet, you know, we're still seeing that type of innovation. I think this is exciting. Uh, we do work with Emissions Reduction Alberta. The funding for these competitions uh, comes out of our tier fund, Technology, Innovation and Emissions Reduction. And it enables some of that research. So there's the early stage projects, the later stage projects. Uh, these dollars really help to spur that technology on. Of course, it's new. There's a lot of work to be done, but definitely um, something that, especially in the Edmonton area, there's a lot of work being done around the hydrogen hub. And uh, I, I think any time that Alberta is the leader in the energy space, that's, that's a good thing. I mean, this is industry stepping up and being creative and innovative. And we're here to support that. Yeah, I know that uh, Minister Natchew in particular in Sturgeon County is particularly bullish on hydrogen tech. I've got an email here from Cheryl uh, wants me to ask you about water. Um, and, and she says, I'm, I'm curious to know when uh, we're going to stop pouring our most valuable resource into holes for fracking. Uh, she says our, our southern farmers in particular are going to desperately need this water to feed their animals, to grow their crops in the not too distant future. Uh, maybe those landowners that are now leasing their land for renewables see the writing on the wall they're cashing in while they can that from cheryl if i can tack on to that other concerns about water probably the most public conversation in alberta relating to water has been coal mining uh on the eastern slopes it's what brought out almost every country singer in the province a couple of years ago and became a very real political issue and a problem uh, for the previous premier jason kenny what's your plan what's your approach to protecting alberta's water yeah, and water is is such a complicated issue, uh, just in terms of of how that's managed. We want to make sure uh, that we are protecting, obviously, the integrity of the water systems here, and making sure that we do have enough water uh, to both support communities, irrigation, uh, and all types of projects uh, within industry, as well as uh, our obligations for water flow, whether that be to other provinces, to the U.S. Uh, and others. So um, that's something that our ministry manages very closely. When it comes to coal, of course, I know our eastern slopes are treasured by Albertans. Our government uh, undertook the coal policy review. Um, we did ex extend and expand uh, those restrictions on coal exploration development in the eastern slopes. Um, but any further movement on that would have to happen through uh, land use planning. Is it fair to say, Minister, that, that your colleagues I and mean, those sitting around the cabinet table were maybe taken a bit aback at the public blowback from this announcement on Thursday? I'm curious to know that the premier kind of rolled out on a radio show on, on Saturday, a, a different feeling uh, justification, a completely different themed justification for that moratorium. Is it fair to say the government was maybe surprised a little bit? You know, this is an issue that we've been talking about. Like I said, when I was in municipal affairs, the Minister of Municipal Affairs, this was the number one topic when we were 
uh, in our government uh, bear pit sessions or accountability sessions. Uh, this was one of the top issues raised by municipal leaders across our province. And at that time, this was earlier in the spring, we made a commitment to review this. We articulated that this would require a number of ministries working together. We knew that there were concerns uh, around uh, sustainability of our grid, reliability, affordability. Yes, uh, the liability reclamation issues. Uh, and so we made a very public commitment at that time uh, that we would address it. And we heard that message from a number of my colleagues. So I don't know that it was uh, a surprise. It was certainly something on my radar that I knew that we would have to address. Uh, like I said, you know, this this six month pause is, I think, an opportunity for us to get this right. Um before we run out of time with you, I just want to ask about this, the status of, of that proposed R-Star program. The, the premier had, had talked about it kind of through the leadership run, and then it seemed to disappear uh, through the course of the election campaign. But I know a lot of Albertans are still curious to know if that's something that's on the table. Uh, and if so, how serious the government's taking it. And, and, and I thought that maybe you could let us know to this minute uh, where we're at with R-Star. You know, I haven't heard anything about one specific program or this specific pro program in a number of months. I, I do know, that obviously, that we're working very closely with the Minister of Energy uh, when it comes to liability and reclamation issues and, and the situation that we're seeing with uh, abandonment and orphan wells. Uh, but I don't have uh, any updates on any specific program at this time. Uh, the Minister of Energy uh, may be the person that you want to ask about that. But, you know, uh, I think, too, there was a lot of misinformation around that program, uh, for sure, certainly from the opposition. Um, but you know what? We, we are working on those issues. And I think the positive thing uh, and what I've really appreciated about Premier Smith's leadership is our priorities are are very transparently uh, shared with the people of Alberta. And so when Albertans are wondering what different uh, ministers are focused on, uh, what the government is is seeing as our top priorities. I mean, that's all out there when it comes to our mandate letters. So we want to continue uh, to see a I would say a diverse growing economy. Uh, and, you know, we have seen that our economy is more diverse than ever before. And Premier has been very clear. These are not either or conversations. This is an and this is an all of the above. We can absolutely still be world leaders in oil and gas. We want to see uh, that industry continue uh, to essentially thrive and grow uh, for generations to come. We also can continue to be leaders in investment in renewables and new technologies like hydrogen. And so we're proud, I think, of our record of, of being leaders in, in energy. I think this is an exciting time for sure for me to be uh, in this role as the Minister of Environment. And, uh, you know, I, I think, you know, one thing I'd want to leave your listeners with and all Albertans is that we are focused on the top of mind issues for Albertans. Affordability is one of those issues, but we are also committed to common sense policy. Um, and unfortunately, you know, when it comes to our relationship with the federal government, I think that that's one of the issues is they've just been choosing ideology over practicality and common sense every time. And, you know, certainly I think we see our, our the NDP opposition here um, often just supporting what the federal government puts forward. But that's not necessarily in the best interests of Albertans. So we have to stand up. Uh, for Albertans, but of course, still work to protect our environment and protect jobs. 
Quick follow-up, Minister, even if it's 10 seconds. Where do you think there was misinformation from the opposition on the R-Star proposal? You know, I think they shared, they have a, a pattern of sharing numbers that are not real. I mean, we saw it over the last four years. Um, their their approach is typically uh, to be divisive and over the top and share misinformation, incorrect numbers. Uh, look, we are looking at these issues. We're working on it with uh, the Minister of Energy. Um, but, you know, the information largely being shared by the NDP on, on this program was uh, completely off base. Tens of thousands of Canadians trust Athabasca University with their post-secondary experience. Why? Well, in part because of its accessibility, its convenience. AU has world-class accredited online programs and courses that offer you the flexibility to learn at your own pace on a schedule that suits your lifestyle. You know what else is pretty great? Nearly 90% of Athabasca U graduates say they're in a job related to their field of study. You don't get that at every university, but it's just one of the reasons why you should check out AthabascaU.ca. We're seeing more and more stories of fires and floods in the news. And of course, every one of those stories has tough implications. Canadians are going to be trying to get their lives back. And for a lot of Canadians, that means a restoration project at home or at work. Don't trust a big project like that to just anybody. Complete Care Restoration has a team of experienced and certified professionals working in fire and flood damage, mold and asbestos removal, plus other construction and renovation projects. We've worked with them and they've earned two thumbs up. You can find them online at completecarerestoration.ca. Do you want to be part of Canada's green movement? Do you want to be part of the move toward net zero? Kubi Renewable Energy is Western Canada's busiest solar installer. And right now, they're hiring. They're looking for those with tickets and they're looking for apprentices too. Kubi Energy is young, they're growing, and they're reshaping the energy portfolio in Canada. You can check out some badass projects that they've been working on and apply to work there by visiting kubienergy.ca. You heard from the government. Now let's hear from the opposition. She's worked in oil and gas for many years before knocking off a conservative incumbent down in central Calgary, Najwan Aljunaid, the NDP's energy critic, made her Real Talk debut. Um, we talked a lot about you and a couple of your colleagues in Calgary because th these were some of the nail biter ridings. These were some of the ones that were going to recounts. And, and you were one of those um, NDP candidates at the time who knocked off uh, a United Conservative incumbent in, in what I would refer to, at least history says, uh, is a conservative riding. Are you still kind of wrapping your mind around that period? You know, it was a very tight race, an exciting one. And look, I love this writing. Uh, people there pay attention. They have many questions. Uh, and, you know, I, we door knocked thousands and thousands of doors. And that's what mattered at the end. Uh, people loved that we were showing up and, and having conversations and uh, uh, really putting forward exciting uh, and interesting ideas for the future of Alberta. And here we are. So it's been it's been wonderful. Thank uh, you. Yeah. 
we, I want to make sure that, you know, people that, that maybe don't know a lot about you understand, uh, you know, we just want to like establish credibility with our guests and, and, and help the audience quickly come to an understanding of, of your level of understanding of the subject matter that we're talking about before you got into politics. Uh, when we talk about energy, um, this is something that, that a significant portion of your career has centered around. Can, can you give us kind of a, a look at your CV in a sense or how you approach conversations about in particular electricity? Yeah, so I've spent the last 15 years uh, in the energy sector. I worked in oil and gas. I worked in oil sands, uh, the Energy Futures Lab, and also Total Energies. This is uh, a multinational French energy company. I worked for them abroad and here in Canada in the oil sands operations. Uh, my last job, I was uh, the director of the Business Renewable Center Canada, where I worked with large corporations to advance uh, large-scale renewables uh, here in Alberta. Uh, and, you know, uh, look, Ryan, I think Alberta has an exciting future. Uh, we can be leaders in all types of energy. Uh, we can, yes, advance uh, a low emission oil and gas operations, and we can expand our renewable sector uh, and even beyond the renewable sectors. There's so many exciting uh, new technologies uh, that we can be uh, working on to attract investments, uh, ensure economic prosperity for Alberta, and, crea and create exciting jobs in this province uh, so I, I believe we have an exciting future for Alberta hey, what was your what was your first reaction sorry to step on your toes there what, what was what was your first reaction uh, when you heard uh, the United Conservative announcement last Thursday that they were going to press pause, uh, you know, they're describing it. Essentially, Minister Schultz did yesterday as a prudent move. They say that this was the number one concern they heard from rural landowners, rural stakeholders. They said concerns around wind and solar development. So they're so they're pressing pause for now, they say, until across a number of ministries, they can get a better sense of, of what oversight needs to look like. What was your first response? My immediate response was shock, frankly. Uh, this is a, a move, this moratorium, let's call it what it is, uh, is sending a terrible message to investors, uh, to companies that have invested billions of dollars uh, in investment here in Alberta and created thousands and thousands of jobs. Uh, it is also signaling that we're not open for business. And let me tell you, I've been talking to many companies, both incumbent generators and renewable energy companies, and no one saw this coming. There was no due process. There was no real consultation. Uh, leaders in this industry was were panic texting uh, the evening of the announcements. They were calling me. Uh, Have you heard of this moratorium? Like this is frankly done in the most unilateral manner uh, with no due process and without any consultation. And I, I just to draw a personal story here in my last job, I, I used to go to all these meetings here in Canada and the, and the US. And I remember this meeting vividly when I was talking to this mega corporate uh, and they were sharing how their consulting firm was telling them, if you're buying renewables in Canada, go to Alberta uh, because of their uh, open uh, uh, deregulated market and skip Ontario. And there's a reason for that, uh, Ryan. Uh, the government of Ontario a few years ago canceled renewables contracts, over 700 government contracts. And it was, uh, I think it was around 200, it cost them around $200 million, okay? Uh, and what it cost them more than that because it cost them the reputation as an investment destination. And now I worry that this 
blanket ban on renewables for seven months will cost us our reputation here in Alberta as an investment destination. Uh, I asked Minister Schultz about that yesterday, and um, and and I understand that you know she's a politician. You're a politician. Both of you are going to politic. Um, but I but I asked her. I said, "Are you concerned about Alberta's reputation here? Are you concerned about you know the message that it might send, not just to investors but to members of the public?" People can hear her full answer, obviously, by watching the full interview. That's what I encourage them to do. But basically, she said, "We're not the only." Once, as a matter of fact, she didn't say that at all. She she said, if you want to talk about uncertainty, she said, look at the federal government. There was a lot of talk about the different jurisdictions, uh, but but she indicated that that's not of great concern to the government at this point. That this might be sending a message of uncertainty, uh, in particular to investors or would be investors in Alberta. Why do you disagree with that? Frankly, this shows a lack of understanding. I, I have spent 15 years in the energy sector. I've never seen such a move by any government, like halting investing uh, investments and closing the province for a big project. This is an unheard move. And you know what? Actually, let's zoom out a little bit. Let's break this down a little bit, Ryan, okay? Um, let's look at all the ministries handling uh, this file right now and dropping the ball on it. Let's start with the Ministry of affordability and uh, utilities. The mandate of this ministry is to provide uh, affordable electricity. Uh, And this minister goes and blocks people from creating more supply low cost energy supply. And we know renewables right now are the cheapest source of energy. So that's interesting. Uh, Let's look at uh, Minister Schultz ministry. That's the environment and parks ministry. Um, This ministry is in charge of tier. And let's quickly explain what tier is. Tier is this emission management regulation that helps heavy industry, uh, that's oil sands, oil and gas, to reduce their emissions through technologies. Uh, And what this fascinating regulation does, it it has this ratcheting effect. So the more stringent uh, stringent this regulation is, the more it drives uh, demand for credits. And guess what? Renewables are excellent, high quality credits that help the oil and gas and oil sands industry to meet their climate uh, goals and make them more viable for investments. Um, so the tier is part of that Ministry of Environment and Parks. And last year, this government actually conducted a full review of tier and credit when credit is due. Uh, this was done by uh, former minister uh, Whitney Isaac and former minister uh, Sonia Savage, because both of them clearly understood uh, that renewables are the lowest cost of energy and they tightened tiered. So that ratcheting effect, which is demanding uh, or signaling more demand for renewables. Um, so that ministry, environment and parks, are they are in charge of tier. So curious if Rebecca Schultz, um, I think she knows better. I'm not too sure what's happening there. So that's the second ministry dropping the ball on this file. Third ministry is the ministry of red tape reduction. And this ministry, their sole existence is to reduce red tape. And they go and wrap the renewable sector with the biggest red tape out there is frankly shocking, Uh, fascinating actually. And then the fourth ministry here is the Ministry of Energy. Where is the Minister of Energy on all this? Renewables are a form of energy. 
just a, a like friendly reminder here. So these are four ministries dropping the, the ball on a multi-billion dollar sector that has created thousands and thousands of doors of, of jobs. And I'm not too sure what's happening there, uh, but I see one common thread, which is their boss. That's Daniel Smith. Um. I should note, just of interest to the audience, uh, you mentioned former MLA Whitney Isaac. That's that's who you knocked off in Calgary Glenmore, which is just kind of a point of interest uh, in this interview. We, we've got some some comments on the live chat. I always try to work these in. And and, uh, you know, Bunny says, I'm still under the impression that the oil and gas industry was freaking out about the strides that renewables was making here in Alberta and were on its way. They were on the way to make uh, to meeting those twenty thirty five uh, targets. Um, I don't know if it's oil and gas freaking out. I don't, I don't know if it's, uh, you know, something to do with uh, protecting uh, natural gas and, and, and potentially, um, you know, creating a circumstance for more success uh, and, and more international reach. Exports is what I'm talking about uh, with LNG or natural gas out of Alberta. I've seen a lot of people talking about uh, the, one of the significant differences here when it comes to government revenues, and I'm getting out of my depth. Um, you would know more about this than me, and, and Dr. Andrew Leach would probably know more than both of us about this. No offense to you or me uh, as an energy economist, uh, but people are talking about, you know, mineral rights versus surface rights. And there's a lot of money at play here. Uh, and, and there's a lot of uh, revenue futures at play here. How much do you think that any of that is factoring into this decision? I'm particularly interested in your perspective on natural gas. Well, you can dig really deep with uh, Professor Andrew Leach, uh, but I, I just want to remind everybody that oil and gas companies and oil sands buy renewables. Mm -hmm. So Synovus, Imperial, uh, TC Energy and Enbridge are building so many renewable uh, projects here in Alberta. Just let's let's just remember all this. Like the renewables are part of the mix for these companies to achieve their environmental and social commitments and to show that they're serious about climate and to show that they're viable for investments because that's where the money is going. They're going to low emission type of investments. Uh, so that's the first thing. Secondly, like we have to remember that Alberta's electricity grid is still three quarters natural gas and around 13, 13% renewables. That's solar, um, wind and, uh, uh, and hydro. Uh, so natural gas is not going anywhere. I just want to calm everyone uh, here who thinks this is about um, moving away. Uh, this is, we still need a diversified grid. The idea here is to add low cost energy supply. The idea here is to add low emissions uh, type of uh, sources into our grid. We need, we need a reliable, uh, affordable and low emissions grid. Like this is the formula and our plan, whatever we create as a, as a province has to always keep that North star. You need to think about reliability. You need to think about affordability and you need to think about emissions. Uh, you cannot be building uh, new projects without thinking about emissions. And there's tech around that. There are technologies. Uh, and we've heard many uh, companies talking about uh, investments in CCUS to uh, reduce emissions from electricity. Uh, so we need to be signaling and sending the right messages to the world that we're open for business, not closing down and shutting down the industry uh, to bring more of these uh, investments and creating more of these jobs in this sector. Uh, I can tell you for sure it's not, the solution is not a moratorium.
I want to jump back into our live chat here. Uh, Ken is is uh, uh, on this growing list of people that are smarter than me and understand more about this issue. Um, Ken says the best thing that the NDP could do is put aside outrage and calmly explain how a parallel capacity market, which was going to be put in place in 2019, would help give natural gas baseload a market. Is that something you want to comment on from Ken? You know, so first of all, the Alberta NDP back in 2015, what they did, what the government did was launching the renewables electricity uh, program. And what that program did was uh, showing uh, the business common sense uh, for contracts for difference to to show that renewables are the cheapest source of energy. And Andrew Leach was involved. You can ask him all these uh, questions as well. Uh, so the number one driver right now for renewables and for low emission uh, energy sources uh, is uh, the private sector. The private sector, these are the companies like Amazon and Microsoft and RBC and TELUS, uh, all of them, and oil and gas and oil sense companies, they're all of them flocking Alberta here to buy renewables. You you need to create to create the right circumstances uh, to, to make economic sense uh, for these companies to invest. Um, so there are many ways. Like you need to start thinking about different policies uh, to create uh, and advance different uh, segments of that sector. Um, so that would be my biggest comment. Uh, it's certainly not a moratorium. Uh, you need different uh, policies to attract different types of investments into it. And it needs that private sector collaboration. You need to work with industry. You need to incentivize the industry uh, to come uh, and invest in this space. Um, Amy is watching, says solar and wind needs regulation and needs to be held uh, to high standards. Alberta Girl says deregulation hurts the consumer, landowners and taxpayers. Uh, I want to give you a chance to respond to this. Alberta Girl says I'm disappointed. The NDP endorses the lack of regulations and landowner abuses. I haven't heard you state it that plainly, but what would you say to Alberta Girl if she said that to you at a mixer? So the first thing to say, you can, we should absolutely always uh, improve the regulatory process. You you should always review and implement best practices in every sector, renewables, traditional, all of that. What I'm saying here, you can still be open for business while conducting a serious review on the regulatory process and do proper consultation with everybody, landowners, uh, stakeholders, uh, renewable energy company companies. Absolutely, you sh- we should always do better in on the regulatory process. We have right now a regulatory process that weeds out bad projects and keeps better ones. Um, if there are projects falling between the cracks, we should actually look into that 100%. But to shut down a whole industry makes no sense. This has never happened in Alberta's history. I, I haven't heard of it. Like, can someone tell us if this has ever happened? Um, like, since when governments shut down multi-billion industries? And I just want a quick comment on, and this can be confusing, but renewable energy companies cannot put a nail uh, on a landowner uh, 
a property without the agreement of the landowner. These are private properties and these are private negotiations that happens between uh, the landowner and the company. This is the reality of this industry. You cannot put a nail without the agreement of the landowner. There are so many happy landowners. Uh, there are many happy municipalities right now making money, making revenue from these projects. But to punish the whole industry, to punish municipalities, to punish happy landowners, it's unacceptable and reckless, frankly. Um, and I just don't know what to say. I've never seen something like this. It makes zero sense. Uh, as we speak, the federal environment minister is is, is rolling out uh, Ottawa's proposed clean energy regulations. And, and so I'm, I'm, I'm not sure if you've seen any embargoed copy that you can comment on. I haven't. Um, it's it's literally happening right now. But we do know that uh, the, the uh, draft net zero electricity regulations set to be released right now uh, will permit some natural gas power generation. Uh, this being reported by CBC per a, a verified uh, anonymous source within the federal environment ministry obviously the feds have, have seen pushback significant pushback from uh, governments in alberta and saskatchewan um they, they say that uh, provinces and territories will have a minimum 75 day window to comment on the draft regulations final rules of course won't take effect until 2035 that's the year that the feds environment minister stephen gobo said it on our show a little while ago uh they want out provinces like alberta uh to have grids that are net zero uh premier danielle smith says that it's impossible uh environment minister rebecca Schultz doubled down on that yesterday on this show. Does the Alberta NDP believe that it is possible for Alberta to achieve a net zero grid by 2035 or before? Uh, so, first of all, I haven't seen these regulations, but uh, my nerdy side, side says this is the Super Bowl in electricity right now. Mm -hmm. um, so here's the thing. I mean, it has been a hot minute. I haven't seen them, but I, I, I know for sure this government hasn't been at the table uh, in the last year to negotiate uh, or represent Alberta's history, uh, Alberta's interests. Sorry. Um, you need to be at the table to negotiate uh the future of this sector. Uh, so uh, these are extremely technical regulations, by the way, so we'll need time to analyze them and, uh, and look at them. Now, to answer your question, I mean, is it possible to achieve a net zero by 2035? Possible. I've, Everything is possible. The oil sands were possible. Uh, this was uh, like when the oil, like the oil sands didn't happen on their own. We decided for the oil sands to happen. This was a public private collaboration. It was a moonshot. So the question right now, what is that next moonshot? And we will need many moonshots in a climate conscious world. So I see the net zero grid in the same uh, high ambition, uh, bold goals that we as a, as a, as a province could achieve. And my question is always like when, when I hear people saying this is impossible, when did we stop problem solving? When did we stop imagining? When did we stop thinking and having a vision for this province? That's my question. Uh, so the world is full of possibilities. Alberta needs to be at the table. This government has been MIA in the whole in the last year, not negotiating Alberta's economic future, missing out uh, on serious, important conversations about this sector. Um, so um, I look forward to reading these uh, CERs and what they mean uh, for us and for Alberta. 
Everybody's talking about the cost of living these days, and we know one of the biggest expenditures for families is groceries. Friesen Brothers has their flyer, the Family Essentials flyer, ready for you to check out right now at Friesen.com. Friesen Brothers, family-owned, understands what it's like. You want to put great food on the family dinner table, but you're watching your bottom line too. Check out Easy Family Meal Solutions right now. The Family Essentials flyers at Friesen.com. Calling all professional engineers or those soon to get their PNG anywhere in Canada or even beyond. The team at Apex Automation wants to talk to you. They're hiring skilled engineers and technicians that are keen on joining the move toward automation that want to be part of industry 4.0 whether you're an electrical or instrumentation engineer computer science or process engineer mechanical engineer electrician instrument technician you get the idea there's a place for you if you want to realize your true career potential at apexautomation.ca my wife carrie and i are getting even closer to unveiling the finished product. Our journey with Eden Landscaping has been such an exciting one, one that we dreamed of for a long time. Going through that planning process with Mike and his team has been a total delight, and I was thrilled to see them work within our budget. We're just like any other family there. We had a vision, and they have brought it through to completion. They have brought our backyard to life. And they can do the same for you. Learn more about Eden Landscaping today at landscapeedmonton.ca. Andrew Leach might be the most well-known energy economist in Canada, widely respected for his understanding of markets, utilities, and, well, pretty much everything else related to it. Leach is one of our go-tos when we want to cut through the noise on stories involving energy and politics. And that's exactly what we do here. Well, I wanted to get you on just for some straight up real talk about the bottom line business implications, the industry implications, uh, the implications writ large for this moratorium that UCP imposed as of Thursday of last week on, on wind and solar. Um, I asked uh, MLA Aljunaid this uh, question. I'll ask you the same. What was your immediate or first response uh, when you heard about that moratorium last Thursday? First response was really irony that you have a government that has, you know, is facing a hundred hundreds of billions of dollars of reclamation liability from the oil and gas sector. And the irony of turning around and saying, well, you know, we're really concerned about um, what's going to happen in however many years when uh, these solar facilities or wind facilities are left behind. Uh, what can we do? And then, of course, as, as Kent Fellows pointed out really well yesterday in the Globe and Mail, that these are all projects that are private landowner projects on private land. And this is the Danielle Smith government stepping in and saying, you know what, rural landowners, you don't know what to do with your land. You need the government to tell you how to manage it, how to contract with people leasing your land, et cetera. You need us to help you. And that's a, a weird spot for this government to be in, I thought. Uh, what do you think is prompting it? Like, what does your gut tell you? Well, I think we saw a little bit of that yesterday with, with Rob Anderson and that uh, old footage from him. I think there's just an aversion to this kind of development. And, and you hear, you know, we we must not have these 
new energy facilities disrupting our viewscapes, they're butt ugly, et cetera. And I think, you know, that is, they, they are really shocking. Um, well, Johnny, you're on the spot with that clip. Isn't he? Uh, the, um, you know, they do change the landscape. They are anyone that's that's ridden or, or walked out in West Edmonton by the water treatment plant. This is a they, they do use up a lot of land. But, you know, when you think about the Alberta landscape, we're always looking at landscape that is disrupted for industrial use, whether it's large canola fields, wheat fields, pump jacks, gas plants, etc. We're often looking at a disrupted landscape. And, and I think we are going to see it as a great picture there that uh, the Johnny's pulled up as well, um, where you see, you know, different types. There's no pump jack in that one that I can see, but but it wouldn't be common now to have all three within the same picture, a wind turbine or a solar panel, a pump jack, a canola field. And that's all disruption from the typical prairie landscape. Yeah. I mean, I, I guess like for me, uh, I, I never want to like just laugh off or scoff at people's concerns about things. I think I, I think it's disingenuous yeah. and short sighted. And, and I don't think that that's, you know, my job is a talk host but but i do uh and and also i'm not trying to create a disingenuous comparison here i'm about to talk about like industrial parks and industrial land and then agricultural land and i recognize that those are different but i do find it ironic that we'll, we, we will celebrate hundreds of millions or billions of dollars poured into refineries or big projects we love when we hear that aurora which they're not even operating anymore you remember that aurora sky facility that they built near the edmonton airport eight hundred thousand square feet feet to grow cannabis nobody was bitching about that one i don't see anybody complaining about amazon warehouses going up all we talk about is the jobs they're going to create now people could poke holes in my comparisons but it just to me i guess i'm having a hard time and i'm not a landowner i'm not a rancher i get it we're about to read some emails from people with perspectives different than mine but i have a hard time believing that because a few people were concerned about a valid concern and that is the loss of good topsoil and farming land um, or that some people are concerned that their view is being impeded by wind turbines, that all of a sudden the government of a province that was holding three quarters of sustainable energy development in the year prior to this one, an enormous economic boon for Alberta. And, and what a great narrative as well, by the way. I mean, if I'm working in the energy war room, the Canadian Energy Center, I am all over those stats, Andrew. Uh, it just seems to me uh, to be a little bit strange. I mean, my spidey senses are tingling that, if, that, that some rural landowners are concerned about their view and all of a sudden the government just throws the brakes on like billions of dollars of projects. It just, I don't know, as a civilian, it doesn't add up. You've got a few things going on. You have the rural landowners. You also have, of course, as, as you talked about yesterday and, and I think earlier today, the big spike in electricity prices. So you have that. You have essentially the the legacy of the NDP government that I worked with a little bit uh, to uh, in terms of bringing on more renewables and bringing on uh, phasing out coal by 2030. There's a desire by this government to tie everything that, despite all the evidence, to tie everything that's happening with the electricity prices right now to whether it's renewables or the coal phase out, not to market behavior. And they, they want to talk about anything but that. So this gives them a way to say, you know, well, we, we understand, we know you're paying high electricity prices. We're going to stop this solar and, and to a lesser degree wind development in its tracks to to figure out what's going on. And it, it's creating, again, more of that perception that it's the solar and wind that's causing the 
the high electricity prices when probably exactly the opposite is true. Tom's in our live chat. Uh, Tom says golf courses take up more agricultural land than renewable energy in Alberta. Time for a moratorium there. Tom, you stop with that crazy talk. Uh, uh, but uh, Andrew, how much of this do you think like you understand energy markets? And, and this is why we're grateful to have you on the show. You understand where things are going, where they are right now, where they have been, et cetera, trends and demand and all that kind of stuff. Um, how much of this do you think is, is about uh, protecting, preserving and growing natural gas? To none. Uh, I, I don't, you know, the, the natural gas in, in terms of the production side of natural gas or the industry, the production industry, I don't think it plays a big role. I think there is a little bit of the legacy power generators. But again, I think this this isn't a story of, as far as I can tell, the government going out and consulting with big business or big oil and gas and saying what we really need to do is stop these solar and wind plants in their tracks. I, I don't see that footprint here. I mean, I might be wrong, but I see a government facing a lot of consumer and voter backlash over electricity prices. I see the, the rural landowners that we've already talked about and a government looking to kind of hang this on a government that was last in office you know, four and a half years ago. Okay, but how, like, how is this, this moratorium, how, how is that to be perceived? I'm not asking you to carry water for the government, yeah. but like, how is this no, to I, be presented as an, as an, as a response to skyrocketing energy prices? I don't know. It seems to be a move in the opposite direction. Well, I think what, what you're seeing is a little bit of that correlation is causation. So what have we seen in the last two and a half years, really? We've seen a massive uptick in, in particular, solar. We've seen the Alberta electric system operators or our grid operator go from a forecast of, you know, 1,000 to 2,000 megawatts of solar into the 2030s to 4,000 megawatts by 2026. And so they've real this, this has really hit the grid rapidly and at the same time as these spikes that everybody's seeing in their electricity bills. And so, you know, for the government, that's that's essentially why they're saying we need to be seen to be doing something. What are we going to do? Well, this is something. So let's do this. And, and I think that's a large part of why you're seeing this right now. I think the regulator and the grid operator were caught a little bit flat footed by how quickly solar expanded how much um how much capacity was coming onto the system and we saw them kind of playing catch up in a really big hurry at the beginning of this year so again it's not that surprising that you see the regulator the grid operator and the government saying whoa what are we going to do now we need some time to catch up and and i think that's that's what's behind this andrew you didn't happen to get your hands on an embargoed copy of uh minister gibault's draft net zero electricity regulations did you I haven't seen the draft. Uh, I was I did come out of a, a briefing presentation this morning, so I've seen bits and pieces, but I haven't seen the full. Regulation. OK, can you can you give us a few tidbits? I mean, some some of the insights, high level stuff that you noticed. Um, I, I don't think I'm at liberty to share that presentation. I probably shouldn't. But, okay. I, but I think it's it, it's in line with what they've been signaling for a long time, which is some flexibility on natural gas generation to maintain that flexibility to meet uh, whether it's peak demand periods or low wind, solar, hydro generation periods, 2035 is kind of the starting point, not really the end point. So new facilities are going to have a little bit more wiggle room than than 2035. 
but it's still going to be a piece of regulation that presents a huge challenge for for Alberta, probably even more so for Saskatchewan. And then again, for New Brunswick and Nova Scotia, I think you're going to see some big challenges out east as well. Uh, interesting to see Alberta's former energy minister in the live chat today, uh, Marg McCaig Boyd. Uh, shout out to her. She says some of this issue, I think, is about nimbyism, she says. Uh, it isn't all about the landowners, but neighbors uh, who don't have a say. Interesting. You're nodding your head. Yeah, I had a uh, back and forth on Twitter uh, with somebody who was pointing out to me, you know, one of the issues here is uh, non-resident landowners, that the people who are leasing the land, and, and again, I, I don't have a sense of how widespread this is, but instead of leasing the land to a, a neighboring farmer for cropping, you're leasing the land for 20 years, 25 years, et cetera, for a solar farm. And it's not your view that's being obstructed. It's not your um, it's not your acreage that you're looking at or not your home acreage that you're looking at, but yet your neighbors are left uh, with a very different viewscape than they're used to. Rather than looking out at, at canola fields in, in July, they're looking out at uh, racks and racks of black solar panels. And and so that, I, I think, uh, for who are being the neighbors that are being disrupted. And of course, knowing that, you know, that thing that you're looking at that you might not want to look at is leading to your neighbor earning tens of thousands of dollars more per year than you are probably plays a role as well. Uh, I, I want to ask you about a comment that the premier made on her uh, free radio show over the weekend. Um, she she sort of took a, a bit of a different angle, uh, provided, I guess you might say, different justification for this six, seven month moratorium um, in, instead of, you know, landowner concerns and scenery and remediation and protecting agricultural land. She said it's also Ottawa, right? She said that, um, that you know, the, the backup plants powered by natural gas are needed for when wind's not blowing or for when the sun's not shining. She says, but the feds don't want Alberta to add any natural gas electricity plants to the grid. Quote, so I've told them, how can I bring on additional wind and solar if I'm not able to secure the reliability of my power grid, my power grid, by being able to bring on natural gas peaker plants? That's the heart of the problem. No one is proposing, said the premier, any new natural gas plants because the federal government has created so much uncertainty in the market. Your response. Premier has to stay on this file. There, there's some truth to it. The federal government is introducing new regulations that essentially say new natural gas plants, you're going to face a very stringent emission standard 10 to 15 years down the road. And not a lot of information yet on what exactly that looks like, how it will be enforced, how flexible it will be, et cetera. So, you know, as with anything else, you know, you wouldn't build, you wouldn't commit to a 20 or 30 year project if the last 15 years of that project are really uncertain and might be a, a zero or even a loss for you. So I, I think she's not wrong about that. And I think, you know, when you look at um, Alberta and our electricity system, the real challenge is those those winter months where, you know, solar and battery storage just isn't going to do much for you. Wind is is OK, but you still have periods with limited wind. So we you know, we're not thinking of designing a grid that relies entirely on wind and solar. But the premier's right to say, OK, then what? And this is where you get into us being caught pretty flat footed. We haven't uh, developed any new inner ties to import power from B.C. when 
the wind is not blowing them and the sun is not shining and to export power when it is. And that's the key thing that I think we're lacking right now is that investment in new transmission infrastructure. And, you know, we should have been thinking about that 10 years ago. We've been talking about it maybe for 20 years, but, you know, that that's the, the missing piece here. And so in a way, we've almost created our own problem. We've said, well, we're going to be alone on this island in our, in an electricity sense. And now the federal government is telling us we there are things we can't do on our electricity island or our almost electricity island. Uh, and so we've we've tied our own hands. We're like, we'd like to build gas. We might want to build nuclear. We might build something that will supply power when the wind isn't blowing and the sun isn't shining. But the federal government is saying there is a limited number of things you can do now to, to accomplish those goals. So, you know, she's not wrong that the federal government is tying the hands a little bit. I think where she gets uh, off track is when she says, well, this means we can't add more wind and solar. And it doesn't really mean that. It just means we need to find something that ensures that we can supply power when the wind and the wind isn't blowing, and the sun isn't shining. Uh, it's been interesting. We talked to the federal minister, Gibbo, a couple of weeks ago, I guess, just after the stampede and, and, and asked him about this, you know, the, their path to net zero. And and obviously 2035, 2050 are pretty significant dates there. And and I'll play a clip from him in just a second. Um, I mean, they're they're like, you know, I guess the word I would use is is unapologetic. Like they, they're like, this is where we're going. This is why we need to get there. Um, he cites the example of Volkswagen coming to to Canada uh, because of some opportunity there based on what their shareholders are looking for. And then and then we'll yeah, talk nothing to, to do with the billions of dollars in subsidies no, at all. I'm sure it was just our clean electricity system. Doesn't it seem like Volkswagen also got off really easy for like basically fucking lying to everybody for years and years about emissions. But I digress. Um, and, and then you talk to to you know, representatives of the UCP, the premier environment minister and others, and, and they will be unapologetic about their opposition to that, about pushing back on 2035. I'm curious for your take, like which whether it lands somewhere in the middle or, or whatever it is, um, who's right on this? Like, is, is the federal government, uh, uh, is 2035 reasonable and realistic? I mean, I know that you'll have advocates for climate action that'll say like it's too long, it's too far away from now, and then you'll have others that say this is crazy. So what do you think? 35 is really, really hard in Alberta and Saskatchewan and less so, but still very hard in, in Nova Scotia and New Brunswick and, and 2035 or the, or the zero number, right? If you're talking about getting those last couple of megatons out of the system, those last uh, bits of emissions, that's where it gets really hard. It's like that 80, 20 rule. It seems to apply to everything, but, uh, and I think that's where I would take partial issue with the federal government, which is, you know, exactly how hard do you need to push this sector compared to all of the other sectors? And and the same is to some extent true in, in oil and gas as well, that we are we've committed to a very aggressive target for 2030, for 2030, for 2050. And our carbon price isn't stringent enough to get us there. Well, what are we doing? We're ramping up stringency on oil and gas and on electricity and maybe less so on some other sectors of the economy. And I think that's where I'd take issue with with their approach, which is you're going as hard as you possibly can on a couple of sectors that, you know, as it turns out, have really big presence in Western Canada, not as big presence in Central Canada or necessarily on the West Coast. And so you have a, a very regionally 
diverse uh, cost structure here is very costly in certain regions, not that costly at all in others. Yeah. Uh, yeah. It'll be interesting to get details, by the way, on on these uh, these uh, electricity regulations from the feds. And I know that there's going to be different. You know, they're saying the proposed regulations. This is a, a leak to CBC News, but they're saying uh, it'll permit the use of non-emitting sources, hydro, wind, solar, nuclear, but also natural gas and diesel if they meet specific criteria. And then remote and northern communities not connected to main grids uh, won't have to suddenly switch. They say there'll be exceptions in those places as you might uh expect um shout yeah, out anything to- remote is out it's the, yeah, the, mean- the big the big kicker is going to be what they do with for for alberta what they do with oil sands and the um, combined heat and power yeah and if all of a sudden you're bringing those plants into the regulation then you know you're taking out a source of you know we use base load a lot in this discussion but those 24 7 365 power net to the grid that we all use that comes from the oil sands uh if all of a sudden that regulation says to the oil sands companies we're going to have a really tight standard on you if you ship net to the grid then the incentive on the oil sands companies is not necessarily to clean up their electricity it's just to use it in-house and to not send that little extra off the top out to the electricity grid. It's not going to be worth it to them. Andrew, and I think that it sounds small, but that could actually pull a rug out from under a lot of what we're talking about doing in, uh, in Alberta, because you lose some of that 24, seven, 365 firm power that you, that you do rely on. If somebody comes up to you like in a pub and just, just like wants to have like a, a pedestrian level, sort of a civilian level chat about something. Cause I hear this question all the time. Uh, I'm, I'm curious to know your response. Like someone will come up to you and say, you know, Dr. Leach, tell me this. We know that there's going to be a global demand for, for oil and gas for decades to come. And we are sitting on a ton of it. And it employs a significant uh, number of our of, of our population from, you know, recent high school graduates all the way up to people that have enjoyed long careers. How does it make any sense uh, to, to, to hamstring ourselves or to nail our feet to the floor before that demand starts to wane? And I'm talking about this in, in the context of things like oil sands emissions caps, which essentially are production caps, unless I understand that incorrectly. What would you say to the person in the pub? The starting point is we're, I think, going to be more and more faced with the choice of do we regulate our own sector or do we subject ourselves to regulation imposed by others, right? We've already seen big consequences in Alberta, whether it's financing, insurance, um, pipeline access, market access, all European Union, California policies, et cetera, that target our oil sands and say, you know what? Uh, you're not compatible with what we view as a future, even in a world that uses oil, uh, you're not compatible with that. We've seen global oil majors, Shell, one big example, exit the oil sands. So that availability of capital has all become um, you know, much more challenging because of the emissions footprint of the oil sands. So I think there is a very strong domestic case for us to act and to keep acting in a way that's globally credible, that preserves some of the value of that resource. Uh, to me, on the on the demand side, I worry less about global demand than I worry about prices. And so if you think about what do we really care about in Alberta, we care about how much the world is willing to pay for a barrel of oil. We don't really care whether they're using 100 million barrels a day or 90 or 70 or 60. And prices don't necessarily follow with 
global consumption. We've had periods of really low prices when the world was using more oil year over year over year. Think 2014 and 2014 through to 2018. We saw global oil demand growth all the way through that and prices were in the toilet. Um, more recently, we've seen prices spike in periods where demand growth has been pretty anemic. And so, you know, that's more what you care about. Is the world going to be short oil in the sense of willing to pay a lot for it? If so, then we want to do a lot to preserve our ability to supply. I'll, I'll cite Kent Fellows again as a great piece on oil sands resilience and, and supplying, quote unquote, the last barrel. I think you, you know, that's where Alberta's resource can be well positioned if it's low emissions. But if you're putting yourself in the position of, we want to be a supplier of oil, but we don't want to act on climate change. We don't want to be part of those global solutions. Then you're putting all of that at risk, regardless of what global oil demand is. Andrew, we always appreciate your time. One quick question from Ken before we go. Uh, it might not be quick. It depends on how you answer it. Uh, he's wondering if you can talk about the capacity market that the Alberta Electricity, uh, I think it's the Alberta Electrical Systems Operator, is that the AESO, uh, tried to launch in 2019, he says, but it was canceled uh, by the Conservatives. Do you have a comment on that? In the, uh, we may, we're going to need, and the ASO just launched this week, a, a review of our market structure. And I think that's that makes sense. We've gone from an electricity world where the way you design an electricity system is sort of build big facilities that operate 24-7, 365. And that was the cheapest way to supply power. And we've kind of taken for granted that those facilities will be there. As the world uh, evolves as we see the innovation that uh, the Minister Schultz talked about yesterday. Now the cheapest source of energy is often renewable power, but it doesn't come with that firm capacity. You can't turn the wind on or turn the sun on when you want to. So I think Alberta is going to need a rethink of its its market structure. Uh, that capacity market that was proposed in, in up to 2019 probably didn't have enough teeth to do what you wanted to do because it only talked about you know, one year promise of a market for your new technology or for your new plant. You need something that says, hey, if you're willing to build this, whether it's a battery, uh, some other type of storage, hydro, et cetera, nuclear, small modular reactor, we'll, we're willing to guarantee you a longer term payment that might make uh, a big difference in Alberta today in a way that it wouldn't have four or five years ago. It doesn't matter if you're looking to show up at a birthday or an anniversary, some sort of other party, or heck, maybe it's just a regular day that could use a little touch of something special. No matter the occasion, enjoy layers of celebration with a DQ cake. A DQ cake from the Dairy Queens in Northwest Edmonton or Sherwood Park makes any occasion a happy occasion. You can visit them at Palisades, Nemeo, Newcastle, Westmount, or along Baseline Road. Pick up a cake from one of their freezers or order one custom from the Dairy Queens in Northwest Edmonton and Sherwood Park. If you're a decision maker for a business, big or small, or maybe for a municipality, you know the value, the importance of keeping your eye on your bottom line. Local Environmental Services understands that too. And their customers in Edmonton and Whitecourt and Regina and area understand that they're about so much more than just garbage. They believe that communities deserve better. Learn more about your full-service environmental solutions partner, Local, by visiting localenvironmental.com. 
realtalk.ca. Thanks for checking out the best of Real Talk. If you liked what you saw or heard here, make sure to subscribe on YouTube or wherever you get your podcasts. If you want to check out our merch or how you can become a Real Talk patron, check out our website, ryanjesperson.com, and catch fresh episodes of Real Talk weekdays at 8.30 Mountain Time.